So what do you do when you make a living in sales and your last deal of the year crashed before Christmas? Well, you do what any normal human being does. You watch a ton of soccer games and you come up with the top five best soccer matches you have ever watched. All right, yeah, so not the best of months, but I did accomplish something. I did come up with my top five matches of all time. Of course, I couldn't do it easily, so I had to come up with some rules because it wouldn't be a simple coach production without them. And, you know, come to find out, in the world of professional soccer, it wasn't easy. There are so many great games to choose from. And, of course, I didn't want to go with the obvious ones, right? I don't think the chief dog officer would have approved. There she is. She's sleeping because she no, knows comfortably I'm following the rules. Speaking of rules. So, first up, no team can be represented more than once. What do I mean by that? So, if I choose the classic game, 1989, Origio Sacchi's... AC Milan basically comes close to soccer perfection by defeating Real Madrid in the second game of the UEFA Champions League semifinals. I couldn't pick another AC Milan or Real Madrid game. Second, I had this requirement. I don't know why. Like, I had to have watched the game when it was played. So, I had to have watched, which I did, the 1989 AC Milan game. The 5 nothing win over Real Madrid. Or I had to have been there in person. There were a bunch of games that I looked at, so I probably scanned about 20 to 25 games that I was actually there in person. Um, so that, that would have qualified. Or I had to watch them live when the game was being played live on television. I, I know this is a stupid rule, but the Simple Coach Rules Committee blamed them. And then third, it had to have some consequence or it had to have some meaning to it. So, you know, it had to have led to something important. It could have been a championship game for a trophy, or um, it had to represent, like, a statement for that team. Like, they went from this to greatness. or So it doesn't necessarily have to be a championship game. Or it had to be the ones that I always like to look at. Is that Can you say that that's the beginning of an era? If you look at these critical games, is that the beginning of an era? And, yeah, and there's, there's definitely one. With that in mind, I managed to watch these whole lots of games um, from World Cup to league games to tournaments. Quite frankly, I also dabbled in some not-so-great games from around the world. Liga Nacional de Fútbol de Guatemala. And no, I didn't think those were great games. But I did come up with my top five. And so let's rock and roll. So let's begin at the end. Number five. Um, we turn the clock back to October 20th, 1996. For, yes, of all, all games, the MLS Cup Final between D.C. United and the L.A. Galaxy. Now, I mean, just looking back on the on the roster, you probably had the best what ended up being front three for um, that goes down in history, right, in MLS lore of Marco Echeverri, Jaime Moreno, and Raul Diaz Arce. And then for uh, the Galaxy, 
You had Jorge Campos in goal, uh, Kobe Jones in the midfield. You had Eduardo Hurtado up front. Um, and then Mauricio Cienfuegos uh, in the midfield, um, who, again, go down in, in, in lore. If you remember watching the game, it was, a, it was I think it was Hurricane something. Hurricane Lily, Hurricane uh, at least I can't remember. But it was a downpour, and they almost canceled the game because of it. The field was kind of atrocious, so it ended up being a real just grind-out battle. And although both teams try to play, right, it's, again, Moreno and, um, I mean, um, Echeverri, Jaime Moreno, DSR say they like the ball on the ground. And then Mauricio Sanfuegos, who was, in my mind, probably, along with Echeverri, probably the one of the best midfielders in MLS history. DC United came back and won 3-2 in overtime, who goes on to national team fame, scored the golden goal to give him the first um the, the first MLS Cup, the Allen Rothenberg, the first MLS Cup, the Allen Rothenberg Trophy, I think it was called back then, which, or Allen Rothenberg Cup, which wasn't, which was this funky looking soccer ball with laurels on it. Um, uh, but probably one of the great games, just again, as a U.S. soccer fan, you finally get to this final. It's a downpour. Nothing seems to <laughs> align. And but for the first one, it was it was a it was a great game and one that I I just remember, especially from the early days of MLS. And now on to an, the another game that you can't get out of your your mind anytime I think about a World Cup. So here we are with number four. Okay, so there's a bunch of things that uh, make me remember this game, um, particularly that I had to get up at four in the morning. But also shout out to my nephew Ian, um, who had passed away just at that uh, at that time, and um, I was sitting in the basement alone watching this game um, that was on. I think it was at like a it was the two thirty start or four a.m. start. I can't remember, um, but it was the U.S. against Portugal opening round of the twenty the two thousand and two World Cup. Um, no one was sure what the expectations were for the team. Remember 1998 under coach Steve Sampson, we had our pretty awful experience at the World Cup. We lost all three. There was a lot of infighting. Captain for life, John Harks was clearly not captain for life anymore. Um, a lot of infighting, a lot of unhappiness, and it, it was... It was just not a not a good overall experience. So here we go into 2002, Coach Bruce Arena, um, and we're going up in the first round against 2,000 Euro semifinalist Portugal, but also one of the favorites actually win the entire thing. So it was definitely, definitely a big rock mountain to climb for the U.S. Uh, starting lineup, Friedel Mastrani, Sane Pope, uh, Jeff Agus in the back line, uh, O'Brien, Haydick, Beasley uh, in the middle, had Brian McBride, Landon Donovan, and um, Stewart uh, in up top. Kobe Jones came on, Carlos Yamosa came on. Uh, we had a young Greg Berhalter on the team, um, Casey Keller, 
Tony Miola, Clint Mathis, Joe Max Moore, Claudio Reyna. Um, so anyhow, just a, a action-packed group of talented, talented players that go, went up against um, Portugal uh, and defeated them three-two. Now, quite frankly, this is a game where the U.S. was really opportunistic, took advantage of, of a very poor Portugal and knocked in three goals in the f- first forty minutes which was, you know, absolutely remarkable. John O'Brien scored Brian uh, McBride, and then Jorge Costa uh, had an own goal. Um, and it was just, I mean, talk about flying high on a day. Um, it was it was probably one of the most exciting U.S. games I'd seen, and I have seen in a, in, in a long, long time. Um, and I will add, especially with uh, Greg Berhalter on the bench right now. This is the sort of signature win I think U.S. soccer fans look for. Like, are we there or not? And this is this is definitely one of those games. I would add that this win totally turned the group uh, upside down. We had um, South Korea we had to face. We had to play Poland. And it was probably the most shocking game in a World Cup since... The U.S. beat England in 1950. I don't think any bookies took bets for the U.S. That win alone made it reaching the second round that much more tenable because I think everyone was chalking up. We would have to, we would have to, we would lose to Portugal. Um, The host nation could be tricky, need to get a point there, and then we would aim to beat Poland and um, just sort of went, went awry. The explosive start from the u.s at the beginning um uh brian mcbride three minutes in heads the ball in beating victor bahia um uh who who makes the save uh, and then uh, john o'brien just buries the ball there was a, a you know landon donovan receives a ball out wide crosses it in it deflects or uh, jorge costa who's trying to block the cross and it takes this weird spin and goes into the back of the goal and and then uh, <laughs> it's just, you kidding me. you know demarcus beasley on one of his great runs down the line puts the ball across and brian mcbride wide open just Buries a ball with his head, like classic, classic. Uh, Portugal does pull two back, um, but um, yeah, it was it was an absolutely fantastic game. I watched it again, and I I was still all jacked up from it. So you get a chance. Okay, so that's two down. Now th- three to go. So here we are with number three. All right, so this one's a little bit from the vault. Right, so this one goes back a little bit. Um, we on um, uh, for number three, I opted to for a game that again for me is a classic game, and maybe it's nostalgia. I'm totally willing to admit that. But this time we're going to the 1982 World Cup quarterfinal at the Sarria Stadium, which no longer exists, which used to be the home of Espanol and was 15 minute 20 minute walk from uh my house where i used to live and i used to go there every other sunday for seven eight years um and you can see the picture 
one of the ends is where I used to stand behind the goal and where I saw Thomas and Kono, like um, great goalkeeper, Nigerian goalkeeper, or Cameroonian. I can't remember. But anyhow, so um, that's where the epic, epic clash between Italy and Brazil um, happened. And it's where Paolo Rossi really came into the into the soccer lore, I guess you could say. Um, he had probably one of the most memorable hat tricks. Uh, Italy wins 3-2, and they ultimately go on to win the World Cup. And it is a classic. So um, Brazil was known as this free-flowing team still, uh, relentless on attack, and, you know, Italy still played Catenaccio. They had, you know, Dino Zoff in goal. As a matter of fact, let's take a look at the roster. At Dino Zoff in goal, who was notorious for receiving the ball and spending minutes in his box, walking back and forth um, to kill time. Uh, you had Gentile, who was the one of the defenders. Um, Antonioni, who actually, I think, scores a goal in this game or... What have you? Tardelli, Marco Tardelli, Bruno Conti. What? What? Bruno Conti was there. Holy smokes! Graziani, and then obviously uh, Paolo Rossi. Um, just the spectacular squad. And then look, I'll just go go down the entire roster for Brazil. Um, uh, Waldir Perez. But at that time, the goalkeepers weren't no well. You know, were good, relatively good as they are now. Um, they were actually probably the weakest part of any Brazilian team. Leandro, Oscar, Luizinho, Junior um, in the back. Um, Junior has that, um, I think it's maybe it was 78, the World Cup, where he hits a pass outside of his foot, bends it around a defender to, I forget who was making a run down the, down the line. Um, in the midfield, uh, uh, Cerezo Socrates, the chain-smoking doctor. Um, you had Adair uh, up front. Oh, he was also a midfielder, um, but was pretty much an attacker, and I think he scores in this game. Falcao. You had the great Zico. Oh, my God. And Serginho. I, I mean, you just can't. can't what? I mean, you don't. Uh, most of the game, because of Brazil's attack, is playing in, in, in Italy's half. Um, and, I mean, all they were doing, it almost seemed like they were fighting for survive, survival at times. Um, and, you know, Gentile has probably the, is the man of the match. Just incredible uh, talent. Marking Zico. Um, and um, actually takes a yellow card and misses out on the semifinal um, as a result. But um, anyhow, so Paolo Rossi scores on a famous header. Crowd goes crazy. Um, just five minutes in. Um, and then five minutes later, Socrates uh, levels, uh, levels the game. You know... And still in the first half, uh, he uh, Paolo Rossi intercepts a pass um, and then goes to goal. Um, in the second half, Falcao hits a screamer um, in, uh, to to tie it up, and so scores two two. And uh, it's you know 15 minutes left in the game. 
Brazil fails to clear out a corner and it somehow lands to Rossi who connects and scores his hat trick and puts um, uh, Italy ahead Uh, 3-2. They thought they had a fourth and then it got disallowed for offside and then Zeno's off who, I I mean, it's funny because um, it ends up something similar happens in one of the next ones we'll talk about. But Dinozov comes up with a miraculous save. And then, as a result, um, Italy goes on to the semifinal. They play Poland. And then, obviously, they go they go to the final to play Germany where they win it. Um, so, just an outstanding game. Great personalities. Um Again, I remember this one because it was literally right down the road from my house, and I used to go to the stadium all the time. It's now leveled, and there's apartment buildings, and Espanol is now out in Cornellà de Prat. Um, but it was in my first European soccer game, my dad and my brother saw Espanol play, um, and it was, again, just kind of memorable that way. So, um, but in spite of all that, just fantastic. It's if you have no idea what that was, I have to question your soccer bona fides. It is quite possibly the most memorable, one of the more most memorable calls, game calls, in the history of soccer that would make for an interesting video right which what are the top five or six calls for a game or a goal um in history i'm sure you gotta um you have to throw in commentary uh camacho's commentary when iniesta scored the world cup winner iniesta de mi vida and uh, i'm sure there's an Andres Cantor call. Um, anyhow, before I go down another tangent and start a video that I'm, before I finish this one, that is indeed the 2011-2012 uh, Premier League game on the final day when Manchester City faced, I think, relegation bound QPR and needed a outright win for the title and the match ended 3-2 in City's favor with that famous call Aguero um with the you know that last minute a pass from uh Balotelli like one of the more interesting characters in the history of soccer. Um, Man United was the was the holder of the Premier League for a whole maybe like two minutes after they had defeated, I think it was Sunderland, uh, one nothing. So yeah, so that's my number two pick forever. Now, I am not a fan of... A big fan of Men in Blazers, that show, Men in Blazers podcast. Some of the interviews are good. Gets a little schlocky for me sometimes, maybe a little bit overdone. 
But if there is one thing that show captures, it is indeed the um, the raw emotion and the hanging on a balance that soccer can do to a, a fan. I, I have to say, if anything that, that a Man City QPR game does for me is that I mean, it goes from the agony of defeat to the pure ecstasy of victory on that goal. And just so memorable. So let's get to the breakdown. Man City's in the title run. I think they're even um, or ahead on goal differential to Man United. Man United is playing at Sunderland. Um, And um, this game against QPR, Man City's playing at the Etihad. So it's at home. It's action-packed. Tension is probably palpable, I could only imagine. Um, But they start off on a good foot. Pablo Zabaleta scores in the 39th uh, minute, uh, manages to to get the goal. So at halftime, Man City is leading 1-0. Bolton is winning 2-1 against Stoke, so QPR is going to be relegated. Wayne Rooney scores in the 20th minute against Sunderland at at the halftime of the Man City game, um, which meant Man City has to win. If the Man U score stays the same, Man City has to win. So they come out in the second half, and three minutes in, uh, Debril Cisse uh, taking a shot past Joe Hart. So now they're tied 1-1. And then to add some more drama, QPR is reduced to 10 men. Joey Barton is gets a red card from Mike Dean. As he's walking off, he kicks Aguero and tries to headbutt somebody. And then there's just this big melee. And um, and then I think he's Balotelli's in there, and it's just getting ugly. So, um, so despite being a player down. In the like the 65th minute, uh, QPR scores the go-ahead goal, so they're now two-one. So now the Man U game is still Man U Sunderland is still one nothing. So Man City now needs two goals to win uh, the the Premier. QPR is feeling comfortable because Bolton or, or Stoke ties it up with Bolton, so they're not going to be relegated. And this is all live time. Like if you remember the. They do the dual screens on those days where you see the game that's going and the game that's meaningful based on the results. And I mean, and you're watching it. It was just, I mean, you couldn't help but get all this anxiety around the game or all these games. So it's 2-1 still, full time. They add five minutes to the end of the game. Was it Ivan Dzeko? I, I forget his first name. Um, manages to equalize. He comes in as a sub, puts a header on a ball from, you know, the legendary David Silva. Um, So they get 2-2. And QPR, knowing that at that point that they had survived um, relegation, kicks a ball out of bounds. Man City throws the ball in, sends the ball up to Aguero. 
and Aguero gives a almost like a give and go to Balotelli. Balotelli turns and off balance, sliding. He says he wanted to shoot, but ends up as he's going down making a pass to to Aguero, who had made the outside run, who sidesteps a tackle and rips that that goal rips the ball to the far post for the go ahead goal three two um clock runs out man city wins it um you know i'm just a all-time classic again i'm not sh- the soccer was good the mo but you the amped up emotion i don't think i've ever experienced i think just that was man city's first title in ages and um um yeah, and it just and again back to my oh, is it meaningful? Does it? That was sort of I'll just say like the beginning of the rise of Man City that um, that uh, you know that we know of today, right? So that started eleven years ago and um, and continues on. So anyhow, what a fantastic game! Uh, you get a chance watch it it is or watch the highlights at least it's just so um so intense i i would say i don't the debates i don't find much um original in a lot of the current debates in soccer and especially around mls about pro rel you know promotion relegation but if i were a ardent advocate for promotion and relegation if anybody said why are you why are why do you want promotion and relegation in mls and u.s soccer in general i would just point them to manchester city qpr 2012 and if that doesn't do it for you i can't help you This has caused some consternation in simple coach HQ. The board of directors has stepped in and requested, demanded that I add a game that, not that I was on the fence about, don't get me wrong, but, you know, I have strange justifications for things in my own mind that this one got overruled quite strongly. So... We just did number two. So you would think that that would lead to number one, but no, here is one and a half. So I get this letter from the board. Starts off with the following. Board of Directors of All Things Division Three Soccer wishes to formally communicate a decision of significant importance concerning the content strategy of our Steam channel. 
After careful consideration and extensive discussions, the board has collectively decided to override the initial decision made by Simple Coach and include the Argentina-France final match at the 2022 Qatar World Cup in our top five matches ever. Decision not made lightly, blah, blah, blah. Appreciate value and expertise, blah, blah, blah. Let me be clear, and first of all, I don't like to air um, our grievances outside of the locker room, but this just bubbled to the surface, so felt it important to share with um, the audience. I am not saying that the Argentina-France game was not great. Uh, Indeed, I do think it is a great game, and I'll explain. But my original exclusion from it is if you notice there are game the games that I have go back you know as early as 1982 and I can't justify it now after I we argued and argued about this yesterday I can't figure out why I didn't edit so let's get started 2022 Qatar World Cup final Argentina France so if you remember the 2022 World Cup and Argentina's run through it, they began the tournament um, losing to Saudi Arabia, which right was not the most auspicious start, but they did wrap up their group. They beat they beat uh, Mexico two nothing and then Poland two nothing. They ended up leading the group. So the, the Saudi Arabia game was a little bit of a blip, but you could hear the howls. Um, from all corners about Argentina and how it fails to show up and Messi's last World Cup and and whatnot. They they, they started out in a in a in a tough spot, and for their part, Le Bleu started pretty strong. They beat Australia four one. They then um, played Denmark and beat them two one, and then inexplicably lost to Tunisia won nothing, but still managed to finish on top of the group um, and qualifying for the second round. Just for a refresher, Argentina goes into the second round. They beat Australia 2-1 to go to the quarterfinals where they're up against the strong Netherlands. They go 2-2 and end up winning in penalty kicks to the where they get to the semifinals and plays Croatia. Um, who beat Brazil in PKs as well, um, and Argentina wins three nothing, a pretty resounding, resounding victory. France goes and plays Poland in the round of sixteen, beats them three one. The killer matchup for me was the quarterfinal matchup: um, France, England, and France wins that one two one. Faces in the semifinals the. Surprise of the tournament, uh, Morocco and beats two nothing. And Morocco, if you remember, beat Spain in the round of sixteen on penalty kicks, where Spain failed to score a penalty kick, any of them. So, um, so we were all set for the France Argentina in the finals. Now heading into that game, remember. Mbappe was leading the tournament in goals. I think he had seven um, up until that point. 
Messi had six. And yeah, not including the 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 the, pen, the penalty kick shootouts. I don't think they counted those. But um, so one and two of the tournament were facing off uh, against each other. France had the um, most goals scored of any team in the tournament with sixteen. And Argentina had come to the game. Excuse me, with thirteen. Um, and Argentina had come into that into that final having scored twelve goals, so they were number two in the standings um, in terms of produ- goal production. And of course, you had Kylian Mbappe, Lionel Messi. Right, Messi go down in history as the greatest player, which uh, of all time, which they had said he'd never won a World Cup, and so you can't give it to him. And then Kylian Mbappe, basically the heir apparent to. Um, goal scoring greatness and um and what would it mean for him to to win the tournament and be a leading scorer so um the 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 tables were set for for what was on paper a really good a really good game now both really technical teams the pace was pretty remarkable and one of my favorite players even though he played for Real Madrid and PSG although I don't hold it against them Angel Di Maria is fouled in the box 23 minutes in and Messi steps up and scores goes one one nothing Um, and then on this probably one of the great Actually, the France goal, too, was really good. But the second goal Argentina scores is just a master class of ball movement. And um, and that's 10 minutes later, 15 minutes after that, Di Maria scores the second goal, um, hits the ball with his left foot um, after, you know, it starts at midfield, goes through Messi, gets to Alexis, Alexis McAllister, great Argentinian name. And so at halftime, France is trailing 2 nothing. Second half starts, Argentina's in possession and really shutting, making it f- tough for France um, and really didn't have anything going in front of goal until about the 80th minute when France, for a very similar foul on uh, Randall Colomuani, uh, is taken down in the box and Mbappe steps up to take the PK and hits hits it for the 2-1. It's 2-1, and literally two minutes later, uh, Kingsley Coleman tackles Messi uh, as the game restarted. It starts this rapid counterattack. Again, a remarkable soccer goal. Once that tackle is made, the ball gets out. Um, it, it gets passed uh, to Mbappe from Marcus Thrum, who, if you see the goal, Mbappe's goal, he's falling. It's sort of a volley. He's coming down. He hits the ball far post um, and goes finds the back of the net 2-2. Both teams come, you know, go back and forth. Different opportunities, they go to extra time. Latoro Martinez um, has and Messi have a couple great opportunities, and... Messi ends up scoring a goal, scores what they think is a winning goal, just almost at the at the start of the second. The first half ended up going zero or no no goals were scored, but in the second half, Messi scores, goes ahead, and then uh, handball in the box, some controversy, some VAR goes on, some decisions, and a uh, 
handball off of a shot from Mbappe hits the arm of Gonzalo Montiel and Mbappe scores his third goal. Here we are, it's 3-3, and here we go into penalties. And then obviously ends up, Argentina ends up uh, winning uh, on PKs. I think it was 4-1. Right, right out of the gate, just about anybody who's in every anybody in the game called this one of the best games, World Cup games ever. Teammates playing Messi and Mbappe, but in terms of excitement, intensity, and the back and forth of the game, this was not a stalemate. This was just an outright, let's go win it. Argentina, Argentina I'm sure you saw at the obel- you know, the obelisk in the center of Buenos Aires was a sea of people to celebrate the win. And, you know, this, again, this just sort of, I think, seals the deal that Lionel Messi is the greatest soccer player to have ever played the game so far. So um, just a remarkable game. Funny going back. It was a little bit of a joke, the whole thing going, you know, with the the board of directors. But when they told me that I needed to include it, I actually went and I started running on my treadmill for, you know, 20 minutes, whatever it was, 30 minutes. And I ended up watching the highlights, the extended highlights, which I think is in the link and in, in, in the write-up on soccer.fans. And um, um, I, I had forgotten, misremembered how good of a game it actually was. So falling on the sword here. Um, so definitely should have been included from the get-go, but... Okay, so this is the moment you've been waiting for. The best game ever. It's got it all. It's got the emotion. It's got controversy. And more controversy than this list itself of top five, six games. But here we go. This is a game that goes down in infamy of all games. There, It was a game with four separate penalty kick appeals waved off, dying moments of the game goal that had the team, one team, get through to the final of the Champions League. It was supercharged emotional night and if you were watching you I mean you you couldn't you couldn't help but just sort of be totally sucked in emotionally to the game and so at number one let's revisit the epic UEFA Champions League semi-final second leg from 2009 Chelsea versus Barcelona. So if you remember, Barcelona needed just not to lose against Chelsea to make the final. First final in, I forget how many years, um, hoping for their second European championship after, since uh, beating Fiorentina. But within 10 minutes, they find themselves a goal down at Stamford Bridge on a defensive clearance and Michael Essien from outside the box, 25 yards out 
takes a left-footed volley that, I mean, what a goal. And Stamford Bridge explodes. Victor Valdez can't do anything. And as Barcelona does, maintains most of the possession. But Chelsea was quick to capitalize on mistakes. So Barcelona's being a little chippy. Eric Abadal gets a straight red for a foul on Nicholas and Elka. But if there was VAR, it might have been waved off because Eric Abadal really didn't touch him as he was going through to goal. Norwegian referee Tom Henning Ovrebo gives four minutes of extra time. Barcelona is is pressing three with a minute left, maybe a little bit less, just when it looked like Chelsea were about to secure a repeat of the 2008 final. Messi plays a ball in this like pseudo chaotic, just trying anything across the edge of the pe- penalty area, where Andres Iniesta, Iniesta de mi vida, takes a strike from outside the box goes upper corner and Peter Cech diving can't do anything about and Barcelona ties 1-1 and the and Barcelona flans go bonkers now as i mentioned Chelsea claims that they were robbed the first handball by Gerard Piquet handball what handball and then the second by Samuel Eto in the I see nothing seconds before the whistle blew. And that's that um, after that it had been tied up. And that's that, if you remember, Michael Bollock and Didier Drogba. Michael Bollock's chasing after the referee after he waves it off. Didier Drogba on the sidelines after the game is yelling at the at the ref and then yelling at the camera. I mean, it was epic, epic, epic. And as a result, Barcelona makes its way through to face Manchester United in the Champions League. And then that leads to this incredible run by Barcelona, which probably is for probably a two to three years stretch was probably the best soccer team ever and this game against Manchester United was pretty impressive the following year Barcelona plays Manchester United again and beats them 3-1 in probably one of the most complete perfect soccer games that Barcelona or any team has ever played and then you might ask how controversial was this? What happened to the referee, Tom Henning of Rabo? Needless to say, his rise to the elite levels of refereeing, of the refereeing world, hit the skids, and he ended up retiring from the game in 2013. He wasn't picked for the World Cup in 2010, never saw another Champions League, um, and he ended up refing in his home country of Norway um, before his retirement from the game. And now works as a psychologist. So it has all the drama. It's still, again, another game that gives me goosebumps. Maybe it's my number one because I just have so, I'm so emotionally wrapped up into it. 
because it was so significant for Barcelona and Barcelona fans. But um, there you have it, my number one. Truth be told, Champions League semifinals are remarkable in their own right, special in every way for every team, and there's different things. For in 2009, for Chelsea, they were this was two months after an awesome 4 4 tie against Liverpool and Stamford Bridge. And now they were here, was this another um, epic night. You know, Barcelona comes to Stamford Bridge, they, they are the favorite after a goalless draw in the first leg, um, but it's totally got. They totally got spun around in this crazy game. I I will say, I'm I'm a, what is it, fourteen years removed. So I can say this now. I wouldn't have said it up until this point, but you know most Chelsea fans are still sick to their stomach when they think about that game. They would call that game scandalous, shocking. Barcelona did, did what Barcelona does. Chelsea managed a spectacular goal. And then Iniesta in with that. I mean, it didn't even look like much of a shot. There was no power to it. It just sort of went in the perfect spot. That's what prevents Chelsea from winning their second ever Champions League final at the time. After 14 years, I personally would like to say to my Chelsea brethren, sorry, not sorry. So that wraps up my top five, six, really, uh, game matches of all time ever. Yeah, I'm sure there's a little bit of controversy. I'm sure there's doubts. But, you know, the beauty of the game is that everyone has this different emotional reaction to games and attachments to games that go beyond the actual spectacle, but into a broader, complex love of the game. And so I hope you enjoyed. Do me a favor. If you like this video, give it a thumbs up. If not, feel free to be your Roman Caesar imitation. Subscribe. 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 Uh, that would be greatly appreciated. And I hope you enjoyed this video. Um, this was a lot of fun to make. And if you saw the back room discussions and arguments that uh, myself and the board of directors and, and Jackie have had over this, you would, you would probably chuckle. Um, but I'll see you on the next one. 